0: Five six thousand. That's one eight hundred two four five six thousand. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com/slash-victor. Taxnetworkusa.com/slash-victor.
1: Hello, America, and happy Monday. Welcome to the John Solomon Reports podcast, where we get you all the news from just the news. And today, you're absolutely going to be on top of the big news. You're going to get it first because you're listening to this podcast. As you know, last year and this year, through our work on the Hunter Biden laptop, through our work through FOIA, we identified three alias email accounts, pseudonym email accounts that Joe Biden used when he was vice president. This has a lot of the overtures of the Hillary Clinton scandal, as you know. What were those email addresses? I think a lot of people forget them now, but we know them pretty well because we've been pursuing this for well over a couple of years. We saw them on the laptop and we're like, hey, Joe Biden is talking about business on private email, just like Hillary Clinton was. And so we were very interested in trying to find out who he was corresponding with, how often he used private emails and whether any of that dealt with Hunter Biden's extraordinary foreign overseas business partners. So there were three email accounts we found. Robinware456 at gmail.com. Robinware456 at gmail. JRBware at gmail.com and Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov. Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov robinware456 at gmail.com and jrbware at gmail.com. Well, today we got an answer. It's an answer that I think shocked even our lawyers. So after we identified the accounts, we worked with one of our close partners, the Southeastern Legal Foundation. That's a nonprofit public interest law firm. They put a FOIA in on our behalf to see if we could compel and then litigation to compel the production of the records. So this started in June of 2022. We've been on this quest for about 18 months now. Today, the National Archives, the Historical Agency of America, notified the court of an extraordinary thing. It found, so far, approximately 82,000 pages of potentially responsive documents. You heard that right, 82,000. That means that there are 82,000 pages of emails to or from Joe Biden's email accounts, that are considered government business and therefore sitting in the National Archives to be produced in this court case. That is a monstrous amount of private email. Why do we know that? The prior high water mark came from Hillary Clinton. Remember, she had thirty thousand emails that totaled fifty-five thousand pages of documents. Joe Biden has Hillary Clinton beaten by uh, about looks like twenty-seven thousand pages. If the NARA, the National Archives estimate is. Accurate. You're getting that here first. We'll have a story up in a little bit with reaction to it as well. In fact, some of our guests today are going to be perfectly suited for reacting to that. Current Congressman Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, member of the House Oversight Committee. He's going to join us at the top of the show. We'll be sure to ask him about this. And then Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public Trust, one of the new and very vibrant ethics watchdogs, private ethics watchdogs in Washington, policing the conduct of government officials and political leaders. He'll be here. We'll be asking both of them about that extraordinary revelation. Again, 82,000 pages. Let me read you the exact thing that the National Archives and Records Administration told the court today. NARA has completed a search for potentially responsive documents and is currently processing those documents for the purpose of producing non-exempt portions of any responsive records on a monthly Rolling basis. Given the scope of plaintiffs' FOIA request, which seeks copies of all emails in three separate accounts over an eight-year period, the volume of potentially responsive records is necessarily large. NARA has identified approximately eighty-two thousand pages of potentially responsive documents, and it is currently processing those documents and preparing any non-exempt responsive documents for production on a rolling basis. That is a breaking news headline right out of Just the News. And first, because you're a listener of John Salomon Reports, we're getting it to you first. We'll have more on that tonight on the website, justthenews.com and on the Just the News apps, and also on the Just the News No Noise television show, where Senator Ron Johnson is going to be on tonight. I'm sure he'll have something to say about this as well. All right. We got a great show, as I told you. We're going to kick it off with Scott Perry, Congressman from Pennsylvania, a key member of the House Oversight Committee, also the current chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. And then we'll be talking to Michael Chamberlain, the founder of the Protect the Public's Trust, the new watchdog that's doing so much work, whether it's on Hatch Act violations of Biden administration officials, ethics claims, and also fighting for some very important FOIA documents, much like we're doing with Joe Biden. They're fighting for it. The most recent one was proof that the Biden administration sent money to Palestine. This is U.S. tax dollars, foreign aid to Palestine, even after being warned it was likely to fall into the hands Of Hamas over the weekend, we had lawmakers reacting to that big discovery on justthenews.com. All right, before we get into the interviews, which I'm really excited for, a couple big headlines for you. I just broke this a little bit ago. A federal judge in Texas has ruled that the Biden administration may not may not tear down the private wired fence that Texas put on its border to protect its border when the federal government hasn't been protecting the border. That is a very big ruling. In fact a major win for any state that wants to protect its border separate of the federal government because the federal government isn't. As you know, over the weekend, we had a story that said 10 million illegal immigrants have crossed the border since Joe Biden took over. That's an all-time record by a mile. Well, some states like Texas are putting up these fences. In this case, it was a concertina wire fence. Um, Chief U.S. District Judge Alia Moses in Del Rio, Texas, ruled that the state of Texas had a likelihood of prevailing in its lawsuit. And therefore, he was going to issue a temporary injunction. The temporary restraining order or injunction prohibits the Biden administration and the Homeland Security Department, including Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, from ordering or causing any part of the Texas border wall to be disassembled. Assembled or removed or cut or defaced. That is a pretty significant ruling. I'll read, the plaintiff preliminarily establishes that it would face irreparable harm without a temporary restraining order. The judge ruled, the only exception to this ruling is if there was an immediate need to get to someone who was trapped on the river and there was no other way to get to them, they could cut through the barrier quickly for a medical emergency. But otherwise, Joe Biden and the Biden administration can no longer cut through the fence and destroy the fence like they've been doing. This is landmark court ruling that likely is going to get all the way to the United States Supreme Court. But what it is, it's a win for any state that would like to enforce border security on their own because the feds aren't doing it. That's a big today. And then the big story that we broke, that everybody's talking about around town today, Hunter Biden, that's right, the Hunter Biden, son of the president, he got a $250,000 loan from a Chinese businessman, Jonathan Lee. Jonathan Lee was the guy that helped Hunter Biden start that big China fund back in 2013 after Hunter Biden flew on Joe Biden's Air Force Two to Beijing. His dad met Jonathan Lee. They went in, they created Bohai Harvest, Rosemont, I think it was called BHR, and Hunter Biden had about a 10-year relationship with him. But right after Joe Biden announced that he was running for president in 2019, in fact, three months after Joe Biden entered the presidential race, Hunter Biden got a $250,000 loan from Jonathan Lee. This is significant because he was hard on his time. He was according to his book, In the Throes of Drug Addiction. So trusting him for money or trusting him to do business might have been a little suspect. Well, Jonathan Lee gives that $250,000 loan to Hunter Biden, according to the records that Congress and federal investigators, law enforcement investigators have obtained. And then Hunter Biden, two years later, walks away from the debt, no longer responsible for it. How did he do that? He transferred the debt to his Hollywood lawyer friend, Kevin Morris. Kevin Morris took it as part of a transfer of some of the business assets, the failing business assets of Hunter Biden, or maybe the defunct or not successful assets of Hunter Biden. And the loan goes away, which means Hunter Biden got to use the money and then walked away from the debt. Someone else is going to pick it up. James Comer had a very large reaction to this disclosure that we got from federal law enforcement documents in the last few days. And it's an important one. Let me just read you what James Comer said, because I think it sums up. Remember, James Comer was on the show a couple of weeks ago and said, it's pretty clear to me that in the Biden lexicon, in the Biden language, when they say they got a loan, it may very well mean they just got a gift. And of course, there was a $5 million forgivable loan that China had offered and provided back in 2017. Now this $250,000 wire comes in as a loan, goes to a Democratic donor slash lawyer friend of Hunter Biden. Here's what James Comer had to say when we asked him about this new revelation. It sure seems that the Bidens get a lot of loans that raise many questions. Hunter Biden's defense team was quick to say that the $250,000 wire he received from a Chinese national that listed Joe Biden's home as a beneficiary address was just a loan. However, Hunter Biden's defense team failed to mention that Kevin Morris quietly assumed the loan for Hunter Biden. Why is Kevin Morris, who is a lawyer and a Democrat donor, taking on Hunter Biden's China debt? This raises serious ethical questions that the White House must answer. So that's the latest on our Hunter Biden front. We got two big ones today. Joe Biden's 82,000 pages of private emails at the National Archives and the $250,000 loan that disappeared for Hunter Biden. Someone else picked up the debt for him. Those are the two stories. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Scott Perry, Congressman from Pennsylvania and member of the House Oversight Committee investigating the Bidens. He'll be up first right after these messages. Hey, folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free the iHeart app radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart radio app. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike All right folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the show, some pretty significant revelations in the Biden family scandal The $250,000 loan that Hunter Biden got from China as his father was starting his campaign. And then just a few minutes ago, the revelation that Joe Biden has 82,000 pages of private emails where he conducted government business when he was vice president of the United States. I thought we'd turn to one of our favorite overseers in Congress, somebody who takes oversight seriously. He's a member of the House Oversight Committee, always on top of all things in the Biden scandal. He is Congressman Scott Perry from the great state of Pennsylvania. And he joins us right now. Congressman, great to have you on the show.
2: Well, it's great to be with you, John. And of course, I always, I wonder so many things. And of course, I have wondered over the course of all this, and I've said it to you and others multiple times, what service or product what were the bidens providing right i mean they got a lot of money that's great uh, they got it from foreign entities or individuals okay but what service were they providing now john with this revelation and we kind of knew it but it keeps on growing is is that do they ever pay any of their loans back who would loan somebody money cuz we've got we're looking at bank records we don't see any of these loans being repaid so who Who loans somebody money with the thought of never being repaid? And and then, of course, the next question is, if that, in fact, is true, um, what if your employer tried to say, look, I'm not going to give you a paycheck. I'm just going to loan you this money, and that way I never have to pay taxes. You don't have to pay taxes. If your employer can't do that because it's illegal, why can these people do that? Well, let's face it. They can't do that because it's illegal. Right. And and, um, and and it seems to be a pattern here of loaning money to the Bidens and and never expecting repayment. Well, that's not really a loan then; that's just paying. And what is it paying for? It's a circular kind of conversation that leads to I think the only thing which you already know is they're selling influence. And that's why you don't see a product. There isn't any loan going on here. They're just selling the access and the influence, and this is the payment for it. And they don't want to pay taxes on it. That's why they call it a loan. We we know the game, and it's just going to continue. We're going to keep finding more of this. And, of course, you know, it might not be a lot of money to the Bidens, but for regular working people, this is all a lot of money. It
1: is. It is big numbers. It means millions of dollars from China alone now. <laughs> we were originally told that they got no money from China. Obviously, they lied to us. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, yeah, they, you know, the, the, the guy that's the president of the United States stood in front of the American people and said he didn't know anything about it. Of course, that was now that's found out to be a lie and that his son got no money from China. That's a lie. If you're willing to lie about those things, John, what else aren't you telling us? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that, was our, that is the overwhelming question. Uh, a lot of people who've begun looking at this are beginning to wonder, is the word loan really just a code word for gift in the Biden family, given the body of evidence that you've been able to look at with the Oversight Committee?
2: No, but don't even, John, don't even call it a gift. It's not a gift. They are paying for something. They didn't give them a gift. They're paying for something, and that's the influence, and that's the access. And of course, the other side of this equation, which we're not even talking about, on the, and we really haven't talked about enough, is, is that if the FBI and the Department of Justice has known about this all this time, why haven't they done anything about it? Are they complicit because they sure find a way to arrest Americans and spy on you know, people that have the gall to go to a school board meeting and call them you know domestic terrorists or issue threat IDs, but somehow, knowing about this Biden... Uh, influence peddling operation mums the word not a word to be said and and when there is well we got to draw it out to make sure it doesn't stay within the statute of limitations and we got to cover for the biden family if they were spending as much time i think um investigating the biden family as it seems appropriate they wouldn't have time to bother with the. Uh, with parents that have the temerity to question their school boards.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, you have it exactly right. Congressman, I'm going to ask you about the second thing we learned today, that Joe Biden finally has found a way to eclipse Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, of course, had 30,000 emails on her private server, ultimately resulted in the discovery of 55,000 pages of emails kept from the public on a private server. Joe Biden, according to NARA, according today in the lawsuit that we're involved with, has 82,000 pages of emails on his three pseudonym private email addresses he used as vice president that is just a massive trove of documents your thoughts on learning that today
2: a huge number i guess you know we shouldn't be surprised even though we're kind of surprised but uh you know we we know that the left they're going to do this hillary taught us and why would we think that joe biden would would be any different and as long as that's the case john i think we got to make sure that uh you know that joe biden doesn't have a hammer sitting close to his phone or, you know, I, I don't know what they smashed him with hammers. I don't know if they set them on fire. They used bleach bit on the, the server. I mean, we got to make sure that the American people can see what was so important to keep from the American people as one of the highest elected officials in the land. And and the only way to do that is to make sure that that stuff is preserved and then and then put out there as public information, which it should be. When you When you're the president and the vice president, you give up a certain amount of of your your privacy and anonymity um, because you're a public service servant working on behalf of the people of the United States of America. And your conversations regarding public policy must be out in the open domain so that we can see them, not so that some executive from from China or Ukraine or or, you know, uh, Romania or, you know, you name it, all the places they've been doing business. It's not just for them to see, it's for us to see too.
1: Yeah, now that's such a very important point. From what you now know in the Oversight Committee, should the Oversight Committee be looking at these emails? Is something that you guys might go look at since they're sitting at the archives?
2: Yeah, absolutely we're going to be looking at it. Look, every single day more information comes in um, that we have to spend time looking at, and we do that very carefully. We understand uh, this is an American citizen with uh, the, the right to privacy, However, again, as a public official, we need to know if there are uh, public information, uh, public policy things being discussed in private with only a a certain few people. And as much as we'd rather not read someone else's email, we have a hard enough time keeping up with our own. We're duty bound to make sure that uh, everybody's following the law here. And it sure looks like. Uh, that's questionable at this
1: moment. Yeah. And it's important to note that these are already at the National Archives, which means in Joe Biden's world, they believe that these emails were government business. That's an important thing we're learning in that lawsuit. So these are probably not private emails. They were on private email addresses, but it appears to be government business because that was the standard that we used for requesting the record. So there's an awful lot of government business that was going on in private emails.
2: And of course, that's all against the law. But as usual, you know, we we don't have any reason to believe at this point, if the FBI and the Department of Justice weren't interested in any of this in the first place, that they're going to be interested in any kind of prosecution for these violations of law.
1: Yeah, no, that's going to be an interesting thing. Federal Records Act really doesn't ever get taken seriously, it appears.
2: Uh, unless, you're, unless, unless your last name is Trump.
1: That's right. In which case, then you definitely get treated seriously. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah.
2: Then they come up with new laws that aren't even included.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how that gets litigated before it's all done. So I want to turn a little bit to the Republican Congress. Obviously, a lot of momentum suddenly, a lot of unity, everyone getting back to work, getting the people's business done and there seems to be a clarity about what needs to get done next. There have been some comments by the Speaker, Johnson, to talk about his commitment to oversight. I know that's exciting, too, because you've always been a big oversight person. And then to shrinking the size of government, that would be historic if Congress were actually to stop the growth in government one time and actually put it in reversal. Do you think that's possible?
2: Well, it's possible. It's not going to come without a lot of uh, effort and some heartache. I will tell you, there's the Uniparty in Washington, D.C. that has Zero interest in that kind of talk, John, but I think the difference between Mike Johnson and the speakers of the recent past is is that he's actually a conservative doesn't mean that he's going to get his way all the time or that you know there are members of the conference that won't vote for him uh, from a conservative standpoint, but what I think it does mean is he starts out from that position and and that's where he works from it's not like other speakers where you had to kind of drag him. Screaming and kicking—pardon the, the phraseology there—but you know if, it, if, if it's not what you're, you you do normally, if it's not your normal uh, proclivity, then then you're working against what your natural position is. And in this case, his natural position is to try and save some of this hard-earned tax dollars get the policy right, right right-size the federal government, doesn't need to be involved in, you know, your ceiling fan or your gas stove or what kind of car you drive. That's his natural position, which I think is going to be a breath of fresh air, not only for members of Congress, but I think for the American people, who just want to live their lives and have the government leave them alone.
1: There's also a sort of freshness. There's a clarity for where Mike Johnson stands. Sometimes with Kevin McCarthy, it was always kind of under, hard to understand the speak of what, what was he really suggesting when he talked. But there's a lot of clarity with the speaker. And I think that allows even the other side of the Democrats to know clearly, All right, I know that's where the speaker is. I've got to negotiate to this point. Is that clarity something that's starting to make a difference just on the ground in Congress?
2: Well, it's certainly making a difference in, uh, in, in leftist Media circles, you know, when Johnson um, had the guts to go out and say that he's informed by the Bible, and if you wonder where he is on something, you can just kind of, you know, get your foundation from where would the Bible be? They, they they went crazy, right? They went crazy and said he's a religious fundamentalist. Now, of course, you never hear religious fundamentalists when they talk about Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib. They're just uh, that's just free speech. But when Mike Johnson talks about uh, his faith, well, that's cause for concern, and uh, these are the very same people that would probably object to George Washington as the first president of the United States if given the opportunity. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. So, so while it makes a difference to us, just remember it also makes a difference to the radical left who can't stand uh, slowing down the transition, uh, you know, whatever they, whatever they call it, uh, the fundamental transformation of America as Obama, Obama characterized it, Anything that, uh, that slows that down or, or, or threatens to slow that down is something that's very concerning to these people because, because they, they don't love America as founded. They don't believe in America as founded. They certainly don't believe in the principles or those who did it. And so Mike Johnson, I think, represents that in the modern era at this moment to them, and it's very concerning uh, to them.
1: Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It is. And you can see the coverage over the weekend. It's so weird. The weirdest thing about the coverage is that like eight people have the exact same story at the same time. And, you know, it's random research, you would think.
2: Amazing how that happens, isn't it?
1: Suggests that maybe there's a bigger finger in the drink, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you would you would think so. It's almost like they coordinate it, but you know who who would ever accuse them of that,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, maybe the people who looked at Russia collusion might actually accuse them of that, like you did. You uh, you helped unravel that very important scandal, Congressman. It is always an honor to have you on. We're looking forward to the great work of the Oversight Committee, and of course, getting those ele- uh, those twelve.
2: We're getting a whole lot more uh, work handed to us, courtesy of the great John Solomon. So thank you for that. And we're going to dig into it with all due diligence.
1: Well, we surely appreciate that and all that you're doing for the American people. And thank you for spending some time with us today. It means a lot to us.
2: Uh, Thank you, John. You have a great day. God bless you.
1: All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public Trust, one of the most important new ethics watchdogs in Washington. But before we do that, Hey, before we go to commercial break, I just want to mention one thing to you. There is a lot going on in the global finance space. The G20 just announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their own respective populations. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make. That's kind of scary. That's why people are worried about it. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products, like guns or pharmaceuticals or other things, or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. In essence, these digital currencies enable the government to take more control over your finances. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold, with the help of my good friends at Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold too. But learn for yourself. This is how I did my first research. Text just news to 989898. That's just news to 989898 and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. The easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer, right? If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer just gathering dust Birch Gold, can help you convert it into an IRA in gold and you won't pay a penny out of pocket. That's a pretty darn good thing. How do you get started on that journey? Well, text JustNews to 989898, claim your free info kit on gold, then call them because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. All right, we'll be back with our good friend, Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public's Trust, right after these messages. IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com justnews just news. That's tnusa.com justnews just news. You know what folks, stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, we have an extraordinary new revelation in the Freedom of Information Act case that we've been pursuing to get a hold of all of the emails that Joe Biden sent under pseudonym email accounts. There are three separate pseudonym email accounts that Joe Biden was using when he was vice president. They were hidden from the public. Today, just a little while ago, we were notified that there are 82,000 pages of documents, just as we said at the top of. The show i want to bring in one of the really great experts on not only government ethics but also government transparency he runs a great group protect the public's trust which as you know is doing all sorts of ethics complaints and ethics monitoring of the biden administration our good friend michael chamberlain joins us now michael great to have you back on the show
3: oh great to be back john thanks for having me
1: We love all the work that you do. It's hardly a week goes by where I don't see some new development from Protect the Public Trust, and I want to get into some of the big things you've scored just in the last few weeks in terms of transparency and ethics. But I wanted to start off with this notification we got today. It's in the status conference report that filed with the court, the National Archives' has found at least 82,000 pages of documents where Joe Biden was either sending out emails under his pseudonym account when he was vice president or receiving them. Pretty remarkable a number. I can't think of any other official with a pseudonym account that has that many emails. Your reaction to it?
3: Well, sir, it seems like a lot of emails, John, 82,000 over the course of if you're going through the full eight years. Now, I was a, I got a math minor in college, but I'm still I'm a little bit rusty on it, but I, I kind of figure that's about 30 a day. Yeah. So, and officials are, they're- 10,000 a year, that's right. They're discouraged from using uh, private email accounts. And a couple of these are Gmail accounts that they're, that he apparently was using. And so they're discouraged from using their, their non-official accounts and only able to do it under, under very limited circumstances. Uh, 82,000 pages is way more than very limited circumstances.
1: Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Joe Biden basically running a shadow government operation because he could do it not on official government emails. It's going to be very interesting to see what's in those emails. Of course, we're pressing hard to get them and we can't wait to get them pretty soon.
3: That's the issue is because those private email accounts or non-government email accounts, non-official accounts, That's the reason that they discourage that is that prevents is the use of those can prevent the public from knowing what the government is doing. You know, it's a way to get around the public records laws uh, and the public records requirements that are that that are uh, the officials have to comply with.
1: Yeah, it's and it's also pretty remarkable. because That's right, because if you didn't know that these emails exist, you couldn't request them, and then the archives would never have an obligation to say, oh, Joe Biden had all these emails over here. It really was a great evasion of of public disclosure, I think is what we're going to probably find out. And it's really remarkable. I want to ask you about this, because this issue was such a big issue in the beginning of the Obama administration, because we learned of Hillary Clinton's private email server. So it's already out there. It's already being lamented that Hillary had this private email server. And then you find out Joe Biden is using it, perhaps in a much larger manner, certainly similar scale. It seems as though there was a culture of not really caring about even what we learned from the Hillary Clinton episode.
3: Uh, it, it certainly looks that way, John. And at the, at the Environmental Protection Agency, the uh, administrator during parsing of, of President Obama's term also was found to have used a, a, a private email account to conduct official business uh it, it is more and more we're finding out that there were officials that that were getting around those requirements and and doing things on their own rather than following the rules.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's pretty remarkable, really is. I'd like to turn to some of the great work that Protect the Public Trust is doing on a daily basis. One of them really relevant to the extraordinary moment of war that the world finds itself in the heinous Hamas attacks on October 7th have launched a new pretty large scale war in Israel in the Middle East. Early on, right after, I believe, the war started, you released some pretty remarkable documents showing that the Biden administration was sending aid to Palestine at the beginning of its tenure, even after being told that that aid was likely to show up helping Hamas. Tell us a little bit about that and why it's so important in the moment we are right
3: now. So very early, one of the first FOIA requests that we sent, John, was uh, about the administration and their dealings with the Taylor Force Act, which is, uh, if anyone that's not familiar with it, this was a bipartisan law passed during the Trump administration, that restricted aid to uh, p- Palestinian territories, unless they unless they began to do certain things like not paying the families of, of terrorists and other things such as that. So we had some conversations as a result of those, fight, which we had to sue to get the records from, you'd uh, be interested to know, that there were officials from the Treasury Department and the State Department communicating and they determined that if they resumed sending aid to Gaza, there was a quote in their words, high risk that this would end up benefiting Hamas. And uh, in the end, they did it anyway, knowing that this was going to happen. And and we originally got these documents earlier this year. Uh, the story broke in August, the first time. You know, we so there was a warning that this aid was was going to to potentially be used in in terrorist activities. And then, you know, uh, about two months after that became the the horrid uh, barbaric attacks of October 7th.
1: Wow, just amazing revelations and so important that Americans understand because this is one of the concerns that's now been expressed. You see a lot of anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian sentiments in the officials that Joe Biden uh, appointed. And then you see a warning sort of being cast aside that, hey, sending money to Palestine means giving it to Hamas, and it doesn't seem to register. The security concerns don't seem to register, and it is pretty pretty remarkable. I think we're going to learn a lot more in the next few weeks about how little vetting there is of foreign aid to countries or areas like Palestine, where there's a high degree of potential that terrorists or other bad actors can gain access to it. I want to ask, Michael, a little bit about some of the other cases that you're pursuing, because in addition to transparency, which that extraordinary set of records about Hamas gave the American public, you also do a lot of great policing on the ethics front. And one of the places where it is clear that you have uh, really shined a very important light, is on the relationship with the Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, and her daughter, who is sort of an anti-energy, anti-fossil fuel activist. Tell us a little bit about where we are in that process and where stand some of the complaints.
3: So we filed we sent some FOIA requests to back earlier this year because we discovered that in December of 2022, uh, the Secretary's daughter, Soma, Holland, uh, who is an adult, an adult daughter. So some of the the ethics uh, conflicts of interest uh, restrictions no longer apply because uh, the, the daughter is an adult. But uh, the the organization Pueblo Action Alliance uh, was involved with the produc- production of a film uh, called Our Story, and it's about uh, uh, trying to convince people to to avoid. Oil and gas leasing in a certain area of New Mexico called Chaco Canyon—that's that's, that's uh, some of the Native Americans consider to be sacred territory. Uh, there's already some some exploration and drilling going on in the area, but they also they they're looking to make a create a buffer around it to prevent any new. Uh, so they made this movie, which Soma Holland uh, narrated, and Secretary Holland. Participated in and appeared in, uh, in in video, granted that was taken before she became secretary. Uh, but we we delved into the connections between uh, the secretary and the that the organization Pueblo Action Alliance and the the secretary's ultimate decision earlier this year to to essentially adopt the position of the Pueblo Action Alliance and others to restrict oil and gas leasing around a 10- a, a or a 20-mile area around the Chaco Canyon area. Um, meanwhile, the, her decision was opposed by, uh, by Native American groups like the Navajo Nation, who, who uh, this is, could potentially cost them a lot of money because they, they stood to, to gain from the, de- the development in that area so we we uh, filed a complaint uh, because you know over the years when she, before she was secretary, when she was in Congress, uh, she made several public statements uh, about this policy, uh, the the connection to her and the movie, which her staff at the Department of the Interior admitted that she participated in using the word participated, and the the activist nature of her daughter and her daughter's organization. Uh, We thought that that constituted a a potential violation of the ethics rules. Uh, So when her making that decision about Chaco Canyon.
1: Yeah, it, it is pretty remarkable. Other places where you've had a big impact, I think there's been several instances of you highlighting violations of the Hatch Act. Can you talk a little bit about the Biden administration's politicization from the podium, so to speak, that has resulted in some findings of Hatch Act violations?
3: Yes, John, uh, we had several months ago, back in in June, it was determined that the press secretary, White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who, by the way, often invokes the Hatch Act to avoid answering uncomfortable questions. uh, We had determined that a complaint that we filed back in November, uh, that she did violate the Hatch Act. Uh, in the days leading up to the 2022 midterms, she took the opportunity of her opening remarks at the podium to uh, to to speak about what she determined to be mega mega Republicans uh, in a very disparaging way. And and with its the timing around the election, just around the corner, uh, you know, we determined we felt that this was was an attempt to sway voters away from from these identified group of candidates, uh, and ultimately the the Office of the Special Counsel, which is the, the office in the executive branch of the government that oversees the Hatch Act, which prevents government officials from participating or, or electioneering in partisan elections, they determined that we were right. They agreed with us that she did, in fact, violate the Hatch Act. Uh, and that's not the the only complaint that we filed regarding the Hatch Act. We we filed one against Secretary Granholm uh, back in uh, also in uh, that was earlier with with her actions around the the election in Virginia in 2021. Uh, we also uh, early on in back in 2021 we we filed a complaint against. Uh, Anthony Fauci, at the, when he was with NAID, for some of his the statements that he made in a published interview back during the, the 2020 election. Now, in that case, the OCS determined that that they said claimed that he did not violate the Hatch Act, but they called it a close call. Which uh, the way that uh, Dr. Fauci is venerated in Washington D.C., uh, we thought was spoke volumes itself.
0: Yeah
1: really remarkable. And there's been some other findings through the Office of Special Counsel is beginning to identify a lot of circumstances where Elected leaders or career officials violate their obligations under the Hatch Act. And you guys have really been at the forefront of that. I don't think there could be any more important thing than making sure that politics doesn't enter into what's supposed to be neutral government decisions. And I think you guys have led on that on so many, so many fronts. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. More of our exclusive interview with Michael Chamberlain right after these messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis... Dota's Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account That's DonorsTrust.org slash just News. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. And so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale: four years for just thirty dollars at AMAC. By joining over two million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC. just justnews That's AMAC. justnews all right, folks, welcome back. More of our exclusive interview with Michael Chamberlain. What are some of the other ethics trends? Because you have your pulse, I think, uh, better uh, on the, the finger of any of government's actions these days. I don't see anyone policing uh, the agencies the way you do. What are some of the trend lines that we should be most concerned about?
3: Well, there's several instances, and in, there's a, a program that, that we've highlighted several times at the Environmental Protection Agency in which... Uh, they're giving out $27 billion to uh, to green groups through a, a series of three different programs. Uh, and from the way that we're interpreting and way that we're looking at the documents around it, it seems that there's a, a pretty high potential that some of the organizations that have ties to folks in the administration at the Environmental Protection Agency could be in line to to collect some of that money that's being distributed and this is a huge program uh, the office of the inspector general at EPA has has admitted that this is going to be hard to to follow and hard for them to track and make sure that that everything is above board and people are, are acting in the way that they're supposed to and so we're that's one reason that we stepped out in front and started to to the, the highlight to people the potential for some of these Conflicts to possibly get in the way, and and for some of the organizations that have ties to the administration to end up getting the the funds, and it's a huge amount of money.
1: Yeah, no, it it is. It is such a huge amount. I want to turn to one last story that we broke at Just the News this morning, and it's another piece in the long-running Hunter Biden, Joe Biden saga. His father, Joe Biden, announces in 2019, in April of 2019, he's going to run for president. Three months after that, a Chinese business executive named Jonathan Lee gives a $250,000 loan to Hunter Biden. This is perhaps the only known foreign money to flow to Hunter Biden after his dad starts running for president. And then uh, a couple years later, Hunter Biden walks away from the debt, basically transferring it to one of his Hollywood lawyers, Kevin Morris, uh, who who takes it over as part of an asset transfer. Uh, First, the idea that the the son of a president in the middle of a presidential campaign would get money from a foreign country like China. And then secondly, the ability to just walk away from the loan. Your, Your thoughts on that and the ethics maybe that are involved in it?
3: Well, there's huge potential for abuse in those types of situations, John. Uh, when you have a declared candidate for a public office, uh, there are certain rules about how they're supposed to raise money, where, there's, where they can and can't get money from, uh, limits on how much people can give. Uh, if there's there's these opportunities for people to go around those rules during using systems like this, uh, the, the the authorities need to keep their eye out uh, and and keep a sharp eye for you know exactly what's happening around these individuals and you know the the idea that uh, this loan for two hundred fifty thousand dollars is just someone could come in and and to say well we're just going to forgive that I'll just I'll just assume that so what was that person expecting in return That's the other question that needs to be asked about this. And so there's there's all of these it creates all of these potentials for abuse and ethics um, missteps and and conflicts to be created when you have uh, situations with these huge what normal people consider. Huge sums of money uh, apparently with uh with some in the administration and and uh some in the president's circle uh two hundred and fifty thousand dollars doesn't seem like it's doesn't seem like it's that much to them. they can just uh forgive a loan out or or in the case of you know what was discovered last week uh we'll just uh, a two hundred thousand dollar loan with no apparently no uh documents to back it up um, you know. It's it's something that that makes the the public look at this, and you you want to you want to find out why the public doesn't trust its government anymore? Well, there's a there's a couple of examples here at that, because they really raise people's eyebrows.
1: Yeah, no, it's really interesting to watch the, the learnings from this. And we had James Comer on the show recently, and he said, it looks to me like uh, loans in the Biden lexicon look more like gifts. And what he was referring to at that point was the fact that Hunter Biden used to take income as business income and then disguise it as a loan, not declare it on his taxes. That's what the IRS whistleblowers divulged to Congress. But when you, when you take a look at it in in general, uh, there is uh, now Hunter Biden walking away from this $250,000 loan he got from China. It may may even have greater context as we go um, looking ahead in the forward uh, to the future. Was this a normal modus operandi? Uh, When you look at what has been dug up thus far in the impeachment inquiry, what James Comer is doing, what's the big picture you take away from the Biden family corruption scandal?
3: Well, I, I think it, it's it's one of those situations, John, like I just mentioned, that it it really uh, it really makes people take a second look at the way things are going and and think, "Wow, do I really trust the government?" It's it just it really weakens their their ability to trust the government, and when they see officials with these huge sums of money, and it appears that they're uh, the the officials, such as uh, Representative Comer and the members of the Oversight Committee and, and others, the Judiciary Committee, are, are peeling back layers, and it seems like each layer that is peeled back, there's it seems like there's more and more uh, that that make people that lose their their trust and lose their faith in what's happening in the officials that. That are in charge of things and you know I think it is a story that you that just the news covered several months ago where uh, now President Biden wants to appoint as the the head of the office of special counsel um, who helps to protect whistleblowers in the government uh, wants to appoint someone with who's a a former colleague of his son Hunter who has been the subject of whistleblower complaints and, and whistleblower testimony and uh, that that just, you know, you, you, wanna, you want to exhibit one, two, and three, and up to, you know, however many of why people no longer trust in their government. There's there's plenty in, uh, ahead or in front of people right there. Yeah,
1: no, you're exactly right. Lots of red flags. In fact, I think the Office of Special Counsel's current counsel stepped down this past week uh, from the other uh, side. So that, that office is up for grabs, and obviously Joe Biden is putting a a uh, family associate or certainly someone associated with Hunter Biden and his law work in there. Uh, if, uh, if that gets through uh, Michael, for all the folks who uh, want to learn more, they're impressed by the work you're doing. What's the best way for them to stay in connection with, uh, in, in concert with all the things you're doing at protect the public's trust.
3: They can, they can go to our website, protect public's org. Uh, they can on the, the website, there's a contact page. And from that page, you can subscribe to our our email blasts. And so you get our press releases and other announcements that we make. You can be ahead of the curve and learn about what we're doing before every, anyone else. And also we're at Public's Trust on Twitter or Twitter and, and X, Uh, you can follow us there. Yeah,
1: I highly recommend, folks. If you care about uh, ethics in government, if you're concerned about the integrity of government, uh, uh, definitely follow on Twitter. Definitely sign up for the email system. It, It is some of the most important watchdog work. I've done 35 years of doing uh, ethics reporting in Washington. I think it's so important. And I, the, the impact that the Protect, Protect the Public Trust has had just in the last year is unlike anything I've seen in a very, very long time. It's um, some of the most important and impactful surveillance of pu- uh, public ethics that's being done anywhere in the country right now. Michael, always an honor to have you on. Thanks for uh, getting us up to speed on so many important
3: things. I uh, appreciate it. Always a pleasure to be on, John. Thank you.
1: Same here. We'll make sure we do this regularly because uh, you're doing some of the most important work in town. So great to have you on. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Hey, if you want to get, take advantage of that free info kit from my good friends at Birch Gold Group, it's real simple. Just text the word "Just News" to 989898 when you hear about all this talk of digital currencies and the ability of governments to spy on your future Transactions or to control how you spend your money through digital currency. It makes gold all the more attractive. If you want to just learn how you get started, including how you can build gold into your retirement account. Text just news, one word, just news to 989898. 98 98. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Be sure to tune into the TV show tonight. Just the news, no noise with Amanda Head and I, 6 p.m. Eastern on Real America's voice. Senator Ron Johnson going to be reacting to that a story we broke just a little bit ago of the 82,000 pages of documents that the National Archive says came from Joe Biden's private pseudonym email accounts when he was vice president. We'll have more on that, plus the $250,000 loan that no longer is a debt of Hunter Biden's. I'll have all that on the TV show tonight. All right, folks, once again, have a great day. Thank you for listening. God bless you. God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now, the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet,
4: Hey there, it's Amanda Head and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast Furthermore with Amanda Head Broadcasting Weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California and brought to you by the Dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore,